0: It's The Vast Majority. I'm Jacobin Managing Editor Micah Utrecht. Thank you for tuning in. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday, April 8th, the day that Bernie Sanders has dropped out of the race for the Democratic nomination for president. It's a rough day for many of us who have really thrown ourselves into the Bernie campaign and, crazily enough, maybe believe that he could actually become president of the united states but could become the most powerful person in the entire world uh and the just wild you know oscillations between thinking that bernie never stood a chance and then the primaries kicking off and bernie actually winning several of them leading us to believe that actually maybe bernie could sweep this thing to this point where we are now wrestling with what it will mean uh, to live in a world uh, yet again as we did after t- 2016, uh, a world where Bernie Sanders is not running for president and likely will not be running again. Uh, it's it's a bit of a feeling of whiplash uh, trying to get our, our head around it and I wanted to get a kind of immediate read on this moment from two people who have been both observers and participants in this movement, Marianella de Prile. ...who is an elected member of the Democratic Socialists of America's National Political Committee... ...and Eric Blanc, who has been on this podcast before. He's a regular contributor to Jacobin, author of the book Red State Revolt... ...and a surrogate for Bernie during the 2020 campaign, traveling with the campaign all over the country. Before I get to that discussion do have to mention it feels a little mercenary on the same day that bernie is dropping out of the race but megan day and i wrote a book which you probably know about if you're a regular listener to this podcast it's called bigger than bernie how we go from the sanders campaign to democratic socialism and it's a book that we wrote because we feel that we have been given a really once in a lifetime. Opportunity to transform American politics. It's an opportunity that's been opened up from Bernie Sanders himself. We now know, of course, that Bernie will not be our figurehead in the White House, uh, but he has opened up a wide range of possibilities that we really can seize if we choose to in this moment. Uh, And we tried to write a book that could speak to people who were inspired by the Bernie campaign and want to know what we should be doing next. So that book is still for sale for 40% off at the VersoBooks.com website as well as available for 12.95 at Jackmanmag.com/store. It's a book that we tried to make relevant to the current moment and to the kind of questions that we are wrestling with in this discussion that I had with Marianella Deprile and with Eric Blanc. Here's our discussion. Marinella and Eric, welcome.
1: Hi, Micah. Hey, good to be on.
0: So let's just start from the base level. How are you guys feeling upon today's news?
2: Um, I feel like I should pretend to be really positive to psych everybody up for the fight, because I know that's politically accurate. But the truth is, on a personal level, today was shitty.
1: Yeah. Yeah, today sucks, I think. I I actually someone texted me at the the press release that Bernie was dropping out, and I audibly just kind of I didn't scream, but I exclaimed like, "No!" Just by my I was just by myself, um, and I think that, that that has just been my state for the rest of the day. I'm pretty. Yeah. angry, I think uh, is my yeah. baseline. How are you, Micah?
0: Well. I've been all day in uh, what some of the kids call squid mode, uh, just uh, just working nonstop the whole day uh, on this news. And I think using that constant work to try to not process my feelings, my true feelings, my innermost feelings about the Sanders, uh, the end of the Sanders campaign. Although, yeah, maybe we'll get the real stuff here because I give up drinking for Lent every year and I you know the onset of COVID-19 couldn't couldn't drive me to the bottle but today just before this the end of the Bernie Sanders campaign did did drive me back right before the end of Lent so maybe you'll get some maybe you'll get some tears by the end of this uh, this podcast <laughs> uh, I
2: already got my cry out today so I'm doing <laughs> okay now
0: so well, I mean let's you know we can start start at the most base level here I mean you know, Marinelle, you mentioned that you are angry upon hearing today's news. Why is that? What are you angry about? Who are you angry at?
1: I I think I think I probably need a couple more days to, like, fully unpack that question. But I think um, the thing that made me really angry today is that it felt like just such an impossible situation, um, both for the Bernie campaign to be in and for the left to be in. And I think the thing that had me the most angry is that um, I still had yesterday's elections in Wisconsin, like fresh on my mind. And just like the the murderous nature of the fact that those elections still took place yesterday, um, even after um, so much back and forth and so much work to get them postponed, and decisions on both, you know, the part of the, the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin to still hold them and the U.S. Supreme Court as well to deny an extension of the mail-in ballot. And I was just so extremely angry at that, at the, at the willingness of, of the ruling class to put so many lot, working class lives in danger. Um, And simultaneously like decimate democracy. And so I was already mad about that, I think. And then on top of all of that, Bernie dropped out. And I think, I think the reason, too, is that that I was angry is that it seems to me like his dropping out is at least partially, and I don't know, we can talk about this, right? But I think it's at least partially a response to this impossible... Um, moment where like, you know, how are you supposed, how is anyone supposed to campaign? Has anyone supposed to, in good faith and good conscience, ask people to go vote for them um, when going out means putting your life in danger? So it just felt like sort of insurmountable odds the whole time. But over the last few days, it's felt even more so. Um, and I just, I, I got really agitated. I think I'm still agitated.
0: Eric, you wrote in the article that you published in Jacobin today that uh, it's, it makes sense that people would want to f- start assigning blame. We're already, you know, within hours of the announcement, within minutes of the announcement, hearing some levels of blame being apportioned here and there. Um, do you think that that is? that that's like where we should be spending our, expending our efforts right now. Uh, Or or to what extent, I guess the question is, should we be talking about blame and to what extent should we be angry? And then to what extent should we just be like taking a, a, a zoomed out sort of bigger picture about what was accomplished in this campaign?
2: Yeah. I mean, specifically what I was trying to push back on there was this idea that there was like one quick fix and if the Bernie campaign had just done this one thing, we so definitely would have won, right? And everybody has their different idea of what that thing would have been, which is one reason why you should be a little distrustful of that line of argument. And I just don't actually think that's the case. Uh, so I don't think the blame should be first and foremost directed at uh, the Bernie campaign for tactical mistakes. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of stuff in hindsight we could talk about. But the big story I do think is basically, it's amazing that we got this far And the reason it hurts, me personally, and I think for a lot of us, is that we got our expectations raised so high. I mean, to be honest, when the whole campaign was starting, I think a lot of us uh, understood what we still, I think, intellectually understood the whole time, that this was a real long shot. The idea that somehow we'd be able to elect a democratic socialist in the absence of a strong working class movement is just such a hard thing to wrap your head around. But What happened after Nevada when we won, there was like this brief moment when it seemed like we had a clear path to the White House, right? And I let myself believe that, which I hadn't up until that moment. I let myself really start like daydreaming about what the hell it would look like to have a... You were trying not to
0: have your heart get broken, but then you you fell in love at that moment again. That's
2: exactly right. Right? There's that Neil Young song, uh, Only Love Can Break Your Heart. And I feel like that's actually what happened. Uh, And... It is really sad. Though. I mean, but it's, you know, so many people were so invested because they understood that electing Bernie would have changed the course of US and possibly world history down a radically better track. And then, so what I just feel like right now is like we're in the bad timeline. It's like this nightmare world that isn't the world we should be living in. And I know in some ways that's unfair because it was such a long shot for Bernie to have won, it, but it still feels like. just kind of want to wake up and live in the world where bernie's winning and we're about to take power
0: right i mean it is worth mentioning as you said just how much of a long shot this was i mean we know how weak the left was pre bernie how weak the left still is today how weak the organized labor movement is today and it's almost like because of how weak all of those institutions in American life were before Bernie, maybe that is what allowed us to uh, make this, what felt like this enormous leap. We're going to go from zero to a hundred. Basically we were going to go from total stagnation and irrelevance of the left in America to a democratic socialist in the white house. And what, you know, we all know of all the things that have popped off and recent years before Bernie, whether it's the Occupy Wall Street or the Wisconsin uprising or uh, the Chicago Teachers Union strike in 2012, all of these things were popping off and they were expressions of this organic anger uh, about the conditions of inequality and, and, and austerity and all the rest of it in this society. And what would have been a, a more normal situation would have been the emergence of a figure like Elizabeth Warren to kind of collect some of that roiling progressive energy right but then uh put it in a in a sort of safe direction like a, in, a, in a electoral direction that wouldn't uh totally you know be be completely threatening to the Democratic party establishment and to capital and to all the other villains in society. I mean that would have been the the more typical way we would expect something like this to go that a sort of opportunistic person like Warren comes along and can capture some of that energy but instead, what we got was a real ass democratic socialist, a dude who used to say stuff like uh, we should abolish the CIA and we should." Uh, take over you know that the, we should nationalize oil companies and like dude the dude is one of us uh he is an actual socialist and yeah we, we kind of got to the point where we were just like oh yeah that this is just how it's gonna go like of course, it makes sense that that Bernie Sanders is vying for literally the most powerful position <laughs> in the entire world. Um, but now that he is that he's out, and you know the sort of post South Carolina, post Super Tuesday reality set in, uh, it just sort of like feels like oh, you know, as Eric was saying, maybe we shouldn't have allowed ourselves to fall in love and then get our hearts broken in this way. But it it sort of in hindsight makes some sense.
1: Yeah, I think I want to though I want to question a. Or, or maybe like interrogate this idea that like maybe things would have just sort of like naturally um fallen to the way of like Elizabeth Warren or like that that was like the natural representation of um <clears throat> where politics could have evolved to and I think I mean we've already we had already been there right I think I think that like uh, sense of like a, a middle progressive uh, being represented in electoral politics had like already come and gone with Barack Obama. And so right. I think that like actually Bernie was like extremely, and his campaign were just extremely representative of, of of the polarization that's happened in the American political landscape.
0: Yeah. And, and not just that. I mean, I felt this very strongly when I was in Iowa knocking doors for Bernie, that I would knock on people's doors And give them the pitch about Bernie. And they were people who were not super invested in politics. Didn't pay very close attention. But I I gave them the Bernie pitch about Medicare for All and everything else. And it wasn't that they didn't agree that we needed those things. It was almost like they didn't believe that winning those things was possible. And like the Obama campaign both opened up the space for people like us to you know millions of other people especially young people to want to go beyond the kind of uh, empty liberalism that we saw in the obama campaign but the obama campaign also destroyed people's capacity to even believe that politics uh could transform their lives because their hopes had been raised so high by obama and then obama didn't deliver and so they're like well then fuck it like i'm not you know
1: a series of expectations being raised and then immediate disappointments. And I think what's different about the Bernie campaign is that expectations were raised and we we have seen some victories along the way. I mean, Eric, I wonder like what you think about this, but I think in terms of, of just working class activity and working class militancy, that, that to me is a victory in and of itself. And I think those things would not have been possible had it not been for both this Bernie campaign and the last one.
2: Yeah, I think... The, the big point that you raise, Micah and, and Marinella, is that there is still this disconnect between what people want policy-wise and then what they actually believe is feasible or worth investing time and energy into. And ultimately, I do think that was the big obstacle that we came up against because obviously the Democratic Party and the corporate media is going to try to destroy Bernie. Like, we, we actually knew that was going to be the case. Uh, the big sort of X factor was whether beyond you know, people who already committed Bernie folks, how far could we activate working class people after, it's not just Obama, really, decades of uh, neoliberalism, atomization, labor movement defeat, right? So the the sad reality is that we made it far, but not far enough, right? It's it's not like it was just the existing left was activated. You know, it, it's, it's actually, you know, amazing that Bernie... One California, 30, 40 percent of the Democratic Party electorate, you know, was willing to ignore literally everything that those in power told them to do and side with us. But the reality is there was, a, I think, a majority of the Democratic primary electorate that just didn't really believe, based on their experience, that something better was worth fighting for. It's not that they were against it. They, You know, all the polls show people support Medicare for all, etc., but there is still this just sense of powerlessness ultimately. And I don't think, you know, I don't think we can just overnight make that change. That being said, as Marinella mentioned, there is a process of working class recomposition and uh, insurgency that began, you know, in some ways before Bernie, but that Bernie certainly spurred with the, uh, you know, teacher strikes and just generally raising people's expectations and giving a sense that you could fight. So I think the big question now is the extent to which the Bernie campaign's legacy will be the folks who were inspired by his message continuing to fight. And that's, you know, remains to be seen.
0: Yeah. So, Eric, can you just talk about that a little bit? I mean, if we're going to be doing a kind of overview autopsy of the campaign, um, you have written at length in a book and many times in Jacobin about the red state teachers strike wave as well as the strike the teacher strike wave that extended beyond red states um th- this is something that you've been one of the only ones to kind of beat the drum on that not only did the bernie sanders campaign achieve all these things in terms of you know we already know that it's helped make medicare for all a a you know over the american people are overwhelmingly in favor of Medicare for all, according to many polls, people have had their minds changed about the whole idea of democratic socialism, and all, all, all those kind of policy questions, you know, things that are that are quantifiable in surveys. But then there are also uh, what, what you know, socialists would call a working class self-activity. I mean, there's the teacher strike wave. There's right now in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, uh, people are going on strike in massive numbers outside of The, uh, you know, the trade union apparatus, they're like just deciding to organize strikes with their coworkers at companies like Instacart and Whole Foods and elsewhere. So can you just talk about how you see the campaign uh, interacting, the Bernie Sanders campaign interacting with that kind of working class self-activity with, with strikes and, and that kind of uh, worker activity?
2: Right. The big story is that Bernie, unlike any, candidate of the Democratic Party establishment actively encouraged and promoted and legitimized uh, kind of unruly mass activity, right? Calling uh, for support for strikes, saying that strikes are important, uh, other forms of protest. And so part of what that translated into was that supporters of the Bernie campaign in 2016, and then again this time, have played a really integral role in a lot of these strike movements. It's, it's not the case that most workers today or in the teacher strikes were primarily striking because they, you know, were inspired by Bernie. It's a little bit more nuanced that what happened is Bernie inspired a core of activists who helped play a leadership role in pushing these strikes to happen and in helping lead them. And so you did see that in West Virginia, in Arizona, uh, a lot of the core strike leaders were first politicized through the Bernie campaign. And it's not a coincidence that again, now um, you saw that in the 2020 Bernie campaign, Bernie's number one supporters were teachers, right? So you have this Really, kind of back and forth reciprocal action between electoral campaigns spurring strikes, which in turn spur like wide levels of uh, teacher activism, which in turn then becomes a base for the Bernie campaign this time. Um, and, you know, the, what happened with DSA's emergence, I think, uh, is a similar dynamic. I'm sure Marianella can speak a little bit more to that.
0: Yeah, before we talk about DSA, I just want to uh, finish this, this point a little bit. So, this is something that really I, if we're if we're talking about sort of how we go forward from here you know what the lessons are of this campaign what other uh, good left candidates should do in the future based on what we've learned from bernie this kind of uh, insistence on working class self-activity and militants and using the campaign apparatus of, of bernie campaign you know texting supporters uh, and using rallies to highlight striking workers, and you know, turning people out to picket lines, and all all this stuff that we know that the Bernie campaign did. I mean, this is what sets it apart from. You know, this is how you this is how you know that somebody is really like about that. You know, socialist life about that uh you know bottom up you know not me us life uh because they're using their campaign in that way it's that it's that you know class struggle elections which uh the something that the democratic socialists of america uh endorsed last summer we write about in uh me and megan day's book that like that is how elections should be done Is to is to be used to spur more of that kind of activity and it's it's you know if you want a clear example of what sets someone like Bernie away from uh, apart from a candidate like Elizabeth Warren, that is it. that insistence that it's it's not just enough to elect me and carry out the good stuff. It is that my campaign has to be used to spur that kind of militant act, working class activity.
2: Yeah, and we need to hammer that home right now because even those of us who understand that got really excited about Bernie winning the election and uh, we need to hammer on to ourselves and to everybody else. Well, it was never just about that. Even if Bernie had won, you know, his ability to actually have gotten anything passed was going to be almost entirely contingent on this massive eruption from below. And so now it's still the case that winning the types of demands that Bernie popularized is still going to be contingent on what we do in the streets and workplaces.
0: So one thing that came out of the campaign was this kind of activity that we were just talking about. Another was the rebirth of the American socialist movement. And a Rebirth that, Marinella, you can tell me if you disagree with me, but I honestly believe that we would not, well, the three of us might not even be here talking to each other. We all three met through the DSA. Um, we We would certainly not have... A totally reborn, rejuvenated American socialist movement um, Seen through the now nearly 60,000 members of the Democratic Socialists of America If Bernie had not helped detoxify that term socialism uh am i wrong about that am i overstating bernie's role would we have all just uh, organically found our way together uh, out of you know just the sheer magnetism of our own personalities and being correct about politics or, or um, is it is it is it true that the bernie campaign was required to cohere this new socialist movement in america
1: well, I think something was required to co- to cohere this movement and I think the Bernie campaign is what that was because of its scale um, and because of its reach right I think there are a few things and, and you know we can talk about this more, but I think there are a few things in American political life that have the reach and the scale of presidential elections. And so yes, I think that that it was it was definitely Bernie's campaign that was, a catalyst in that way, because I think, you know, Bernie calls himself and called himself even in 2016, a democratic socialist. And I think people, you know, kind of thought to themselves, well, I identify with what Bernie is saying, then I, you know, I must be a democratic socialist. Okay, I'm going to like, kind of look up what that is. Oh, here's an organization that is a democratic socialist organization I'm going to join. And, You know, you said we have 60,000 members. I, I, I have to tell you all that we had 500 new DSA members join in the space of just three hours today, around in the middle of the day. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, wow. so, you know, stay tuned for new membership numbers, I think. But, but definitely, I think that uh, the, the Bernie campaign had this, this huge cohering power, um, both in 2016 and now. Um, and I think that that 's also the reason that I think uh, a lot of us are disappointed right now is, is that it 's hard to know or, or hard to to tell exactly um, what what if any institutions are going to continue to have that, that power to cohere the left and make us all feel like we are you know part of one singular project sort of pushing in the same direction. So I think it was like yes, obviously this, this dream of of Bernie potentially being in the White House. Um, and also the the power of that dream to cohere the loss that we're we're mourning the loss of both of those things today. I think.
0: So, given what you just said, Mariella, to me that begs a question of what the work of an organization like DSA should be going forward. And I feel like there is a danger that there will be many people. I mean, before Bernie. Uh, help revive the socialist movement in the United States. I think it was still really dominated by anarchism, which had been dominant on the American left for several decades. That was how I got politicized when I first became a socialist, like 15 or 17 years ago. Uh, And so I'm worried that there will be a, a number of people on the radical left who point to the fact that Bernie lost for the second time and or people within dsa too who would say well see look we tried that electoral stuff and it was a failure we lost uh that was a total waste of time um and now we need to be doing the like real stuff we need to not be fucking around with this bourgeois electoralism anymore after that so what would your response to somebody like that be i think
1: yeah great question i think it was never going to be easy. And I think we hear this a lot. And, and sometimes it just ends there. But I think what that means is that we have to look at examples of both what our comrades in other countries have done in in recent history. But we also have to look at, you know, history of who, those who came before us. And I think it's, it's, it's not enough to just say, okay, we well we sort of tried it once. And like, now we know that that's a dead end. Um, and I think we have to continue. There's a few things we have to do. I think we have to consolidate on the wins that this last burning campaign um, has, that we've made through this last burning campaign. I think that that can mean a few different things. I think that means both redirecting energy into fights like the fight for the Green New Deal, like the fight for Medicare for All, which I think resonates now more than ever. Then all of these things that I think we as socialists have been fighting for for a really long time um, and now I think are more resonant than ever because of the crisis that we're in. And I think we also have to um, think about, you know, what else what else we do and think about, yes, definitely going beyond elections and going beyond a single candidate. Um, and I think that, you know, Micah, that's what you were mentioning earlier, this idea of class struggle elections. And to me, what that means is that, um, we have specific tactics that work to name the enemy, that work to raise the expectations of the working class, that work to agitate people, and that the goal of class struggle elections is not simply to get someone elected, but it's to, to build working class organization and to put people into motion. Um, and I think that that's what's happened with the Bernie. Um, with the Bernie campaign. And I think now it's the responsibility of socialists to continue to consolidate that energy and, and to continue sort of guiding it. I, I was reading a few weeks ago, this metaphor of, you know, working class energy is kind of like steam um, in an engine, and it needs the the structure of the engine, the pistons to sort of direct it. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's what organizations do. I think the other piece is that we have to uh, we have to focus on um, working class organization in workplaces. Um, we have to to continue to promote our our um, relationship with the labor movement and continue to grow the labor movement because nothing is going to be um, possible. To we're never going to be able to win a green new deal without an organized uh, and militant um, labor movement. Same with Medicare for All and same for all these things that we're we're fighting for. And I think as socialists, we know that. And and again, I think, I mean, now I'm just talking and I'm I'm starting to like feel hopeful as I'm talking. I'm like, okay, wow, actually we've had like a lot of like little victories along the way. And the task is daunting, but I think we've, we are certainly a, a lot further along now than even we were a year ago, I think
0: right which is it's a key point to make here that the the way the the reason that we are here where we have a reborn socialist movement and all that stuff is through principally the engagement with electoral politics and of course we all recognize that we need to do other stuff beyond just elections but it was through engagement in that election uh, in the presidential election twice uh, that has led to all of these 60,000 plus members of DSA and of course the thousands uh, upon thousands that are part of the broader progressive movement and the broader left out there uh, to come together uh, to be able to fight for a Green New Deal and, and, you know, support strikes and everything else. You know, Eric, you've been on the left for a while and I assume you had experiences like me of just uh, complete marginalization. I, I told this story on another podcast the other day, but I went to the Bernie Sanders rally in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I, uh, it was in the beginning of March, I believe. And I went to college for two years in Grand Rapids and I I grew up 45 minutes from it. So I was there very often over for three or four years. And I was involved in anarchist organizing against the war in Iraq in the mid two thousands. And the Bernie rally was in a plaza in downtown Grand Rapids. That was right where we used to do food, not bombs and anti-war protests and, uh, critical mass and all kinds of, uh, stuff over the years that I was there. And it would always be like max, a dozen of us, 13 of us, 14 of us. And maybe even one time Bush came to town. And I remember there were like maybe a hundred, 150 of us. And, we thought that was great. Like when we could get like a hundred people out or something. And at this Bernie rally, the exact place where we were doing, uh, these small fringe stuff that never got any attention. There were seven, eight, nine thousand people all gathered hearing a message of class struggle, hearing some pretty radical rhetoric from the stage. Uh, and it just made me think like, my God, we can't go back to the old way of being, marginalized and being kind of uh, sectarian i mean we, we thought we were anti-sectarian at the time but in hindsight we were we, we came off as a bunch of uh, weirdos to people we weren't very uh, friendly to others we weren't uh you know we weren't really engaged in the the stuff of mass politics and some of that is objective conditions but other parts of it are subjective and we have seen through bernie how we can do some real mass politics here and I don't think we should go back to the old way of doing uh, marginalized and tiny and uh, sort of uh, subcultural politics. We've seen through Bernie that we can actually build a mass movement on a message of class struggle.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the big question, yeah, is how we stay in the political mainstream of American political life. And that's actually, I still think it's sort of miraculous, you know, that you have that it was even possible that Democratic Socialists could be a front runner for the U.S. president is just you know we almost take it for granted now, but it's just bonkers if you think about it really as far as the trajectory of U.S. history and politics, and so people take that for granted, but we shouldn't, and we should definitely not go back to the margins. And really, I think the way you framed it is right. We need to do mass politics. That doesn't just mean electoral politics. It means that our starting point. Uh, to quote a socialist named Vladimir Lenin was, you know, politics starts with the millions, right? And that's important, because our starting point is not the people who already agree with us, but people who um, really are, are looking for answers, and who are, at this point, not in our existing milieus, right? And who maybe voted for Bernie, or maybe didn't vote for Bernie, but you know, are people that might go on strike tomorrow because they're worried about dying from the virus, right? And so I think that when we do politics, our starting point has to be that we have to have confidence in that a majority of people in this country and in other countries' world can eventually, through their organization and activity, understand their power and understand that they have the ability to radically transform the world. And so the way that looks can be like, elections, it can be strikes. And I think one of the really exciting things that we've talked about, but it's just, it's worth underlining is the burning campaign has already fomented this type of infrastructure and activity. And I'll just give you one example, because it's an important one. The um, organizing right now that DSA is doing in conjunction with United Electrical Workers Union to um, help workers across the country fight back and organize Um, in response to the pandemic, a lot of that organizing comes out of the infrastructure and relationships we built through the Bernie campaign, right? We met so many labor activists across the country who we'd never been in touch with before. Um, And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and we've been doing Bernie work and we literally just asked the same people and the same unions were like, well, shit, we got to do something now so we don't die and so that our coworkers and friends don't die. And so you see how, Already, that Bernie campaign was able to translate into what is now actually a very big, robust structure nationally um, that is helping hundreds of workers organize. And so I think that's really why I'm still hopeful, when I'm not crying at least, is that that infrastructure exists and it's a question now of continuing it. And I think that the depth of the crisis that we're about to, I think, see even more clearly, um, is going to keep on being an impetus for workers to fight back, and the question is if whether we have activists can give political responses and organizational responses to cohere that.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about that, the organizing that's going on now? Because uh, you know, you're mentioning this project of DSA helping organize workers along with the United Electrical Workers and. I that, that you know it's not like we're just sitting around trying to figure out what to do. I mean there are already projects that are in motion like the one that you're talking about that seem to be uh poised to you know continue this this energy and and to continue trying to spread that kind of uh, labor militancy at a time when we're in the middle of this pandemic in which it, we there's nothing more urgent than workers who are at risk of being exposed to COVID-19. Uh, to shutting down their shops uh, until they get uh, better pay, or certainly at least in, in like workers like grocery store workers or uh, Amazon workers. Can you talk about what that organizing that exists right now currently looks like and how it is sort of continuing the ethos behind the Bernie campaign?
2: Yeah, 100%. So uh, the short version is it's called EWOC, Emergency Worker Organizing Committee, and uh, yeah, it's a partnership between DSA and UE, the union, in which basically any worker across the country who uh, finds and fills out this form that we're spreading all, everywhere online, just basically saying, uh, do you need help organizing your workplace in response to the pandemic? They fill that format and we get them connected with uh, labor organizers to help them fight back. And we've already made a lot of wins uh, in small shops and some bigger shops got big campaigns uh in places like amazon uh different grocery chains across the country and i think it's just really um a crazy moment obviously that's that's probably like a an understatement but it's worth highlighting again for anybody who's feeling a sense of despair about the bernie campaign that as we speak there is a strike wave going on right there are We don't even know how many workers, because so much of this stuff is just kind of like under the radar, or workers are walking out and not telling the press. Uh, They're just doing it because they're scared, but the response of that fear is not to submit to the bosses, but is actually to collectively take action to force them to meet their demands or to force them to shut down. And so we're actually in this moment that's very pregnant with possibilities um, that I think should give us some hope, not just for um, the left but really for a revival of the labor movement in the way that because you have these strikes but also because you just see the system exposed for how rotten it is and also the necessity i think for something like medicare for all is just so obvious to so many people right now i'm not sure if you all saw but there was this recent poll where the support for medicare for all spiked so i do think that crises expose systems and when people are fighting back that's a very explosive mix So that's, you know, personally, that's why I wish Bernie had stuck it out longer, because I wanted him to continue using his platform to give an organized, uh, you know, expression to that. But I think that now it's up to us to really try to um, make sure that people know that there's an alternative and that there's something worth fighting for.
0: Yeah, just while you brought that up, Eric, can we hear some theories about why Bernie chose to drop out today? It doesn't quite fully make sense to me. He's going to still be on the ballot, I believe, in most states. Most states, so that he can continue to collect delegates and then still have an impact at the DNC, should it happen. Um, what? But why? I mean, what? What? What are the reasons that you guys are are reading either in the tea leaves or through? The recent conflict between people in the campaign some people in the campaign saying he should continue on despite the math looking very bad for him other people in the campaign saying that uh he should throw in the towel now and i don't know if the upshot of that is that they should sort of get behind biden so that we can all try to defeat trump but uh what are the what are the theories for why throwing in the towel at this point specifically marie i'll start with you
1: I mean I don't know that my theories have any um connection to actual reality. I, I just have some general senses of what could have possibly been going on and, and potentially, you know, what I would have what I would have done if I were in Bernie Shoes um or what I would be thinking or feeling. And I think that I mean like I was saying earlier, I think the situation in, in Wisconsin yesterday was was really, really dire. And I think the fact that right now because of the lack of of proactive action, both um, at the federal level and at the state level, in terms of uh, dealing with a pandemic, I think that that lack of action has left a lot of states and and um, party leadership just in the dark about how to plan for their primaries. And so there's no there's no clear plan for what's going on, other than you know people are going to still be expected or sent out to vote. Um, in extremely dangerous and risky conditions, and I think the reality of that makes it so that if you're campaigning for president, you're in this really difficult position of having to ask people to go vote and put their lives at risk, or or not do anything at all. Um, and I think you know we've seen Bernie over the last several weeks sort of pivot all of his efforts and his energy and and sort of his his campaign to dealing with the COVID crisis. And, and perhaps he, he sort of saw um, those two things as being at odds, right? Like being able to like actually deal with the crisis and, and acknowledge the reality of it and asking people to vote for him for president were perhaps at odds with each other. I don't think that's the entire story by any stretch of the imagination, but I imagine that that was probably at least one factor. But I know Eric probably has other thoughts.
2: I you know I don't have I don't really have an inside scoop uh, either to be honest. But my my sense is that's basically the case. Um, but that there's also just to be real a significant amount of pressure from the Democratic Party establishment and the corporate media uh, for weeks now trying to say that you know Bernie in staying in the race is somehow abetting Trump right. So there's just this intense pressure from above, and it's understandable um, because I think we all. Do want to see Trump defeated uh, it's understandable that people um, in the campaign would you know be open to that type of argument the The difficulty is that I do think that there are some uh, illusions in the idea that somehow there's some sort of way of having a line of dialogue with Biden, or you know if 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 maybe Biden can change some of his policies, then people uh, you know will vote for him you know there there's this idea that somehow. Uh, we're still on the same team as the Democratic Party establishment. And I just don't think that's the case. Um, I think it's actually a very good question. What do we do in the upcoming election? I'm, I'm sympathetic to people who say, well, maybe, you know, individuals should vote against Trump. Like, that's an open question. You can have that debate. But the idea that somehow we should do anything other than focus on building our independent organization is just a tremendous mistake. It's like everything we've won is because we've been willing to go up against not just the billionaires and the Republicans, but against the Democratic Party itself, to be honest, you know, and the Democratic Party establishment that coheres the Democratic Party. And so going forward, the danger... Is not just on the one hand like anarchism, but also that there's a certain amount of Bernie supporters that could get sucked into this argument that we shouldn't be keep, we shouldn't keep on fighting right now that everything has to be just subordinated to uh, defeating Trump. And I just don't think that's the case. I, I think that the first priority really for Bernie supporters right now is to stay organized, is to organize in workplaces and communities around the virus. You know, how you vote in November, I think, is uh, mostly an individual decision at this point. But our organizational focus has to be building independent power against both the Republicans and the Democrats. Because otherwise, we're going to just get, I think, uh, dissolved back into where we were before.
0: I think that's right. That kind of raises a question of how we keep the new electoral standard bearers of our movement uh committed to that same level of independence because obviously bernie sanders is this unique individual in american history perhaps the most stubborn Person to ever uh, emerge in American politics just totally ignores all of the enticements of, uh, or, or almost totally ignores all of the enticements of of American politics. He just sort of has, has dripping contempt for like all of his contemporaries. He hates everything about the media and our political system and uh, most everything except average working class people. And so he was able to maintain this independence from the Democratic Party his entire career, which. Which is what made him so special and made him, it made it so he was the one who could emerge in this moment um, on the other hand, there's been a big debate recently about folks like uh representative alexandria ocasio-cortez of course and how much she is maintaining independence from the democratic party and there's a kind of back and forth she's you know she's she's making her peace with uh the bad establishment democrats then she says actually you know this is just a hit job from mainstream media Um, but it is true that folks like her don't emerge from well, well a they're not like, they're not Bernie Sanders, so they don't have that same just level of unique stubbornness. But, B, they don't emerge from organizations that can discipline them and that can keep them independent of the Democratic Party apparatus. Which is, of course, an argument for, as Eric, you just said, for building DSA, but we already have some people, uh, you know, elected officials who are, even if they're members of DSA, we have no effective means for uh, disciplining them and keeping them uh, independent of the Democratic Party establishment. So I guess, Marinel, what do we... What do we do with that? I mean, is the answer just like, well, we need to run our own people in the future who actually are accountable to us, so who who will pledge to actually remain independent of the Democratic Party? Or is there anything more there that we need to be doing to keep building that kind of independent force that Eric was talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the question of accountability is is an interesting one. I think we, we always throw around this word and, and it's hard to actually say, what really we mean by it. I think it's different than discipline. Um, This idea that like there's a line and, and um, it must be stuck to, I think that we're already starting to see um, certain state democratic parties push back on, um, DSA members running on their ballot line, even doing things like trying to, to ban them for participating in, in all state party state Democratic party activities. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more of that. and so it's going to become more difficult for us to continue running people on the Democratic Party ballot line. I think that and this is uh, it could end up not being true, but it's something a pattern that I'm seeing arise and I think the other thing is that I until we, we have an independent party, I think that repre- that actually represents workers and is made up of workers and is, is a mass party, um, we're not going to be able to, in any meaningful way, run and win candidates uh, or win seats, run candidates and win seats um, that we reliably know are going to fight um, on behalf of, of the working class of this country. All of that said, I think that there's definitely things that we can do sort of in between. I don't think that a party is just around the corner. Um, and one thing that I was thinking while you were talking is that we don't yet really have a critical mass of um, of DSA members or even socialists sort of uh, holding um, federal legislative seats. And I think that, that that would really be a game changer, right? If we had, just think about, you know, if we had, even a handful more uh, people in Congress who could, um, who could not only sort of mount a visible um, offense against the Democratic Party establishment, but could also sort of bolster each other and make it feasible to, to sort of fight that fight without having to, to have that extreme stubbornness um that bernie has without having to have a an inherent part of your character i think that that's i think that is something that we as socialists can aspire to again this raises the question of like how much do we want to continue to invest in elections is that is that a strategy or a tactic that is um that's viable for us aren't people going to be burnt out and i think all those are all questions that we need to answer Um, but but i think we have to be, be realistic about like what, what the goal is or what the situation is, which is that the working class does not have a party that represents it, its interests at all um, and, and move toward the horizon of building that party while at the same time sort of working within the conditions that, that we have right now.
0: Eric?
2: Yeah, the I agree with Manuela. I, I think that just what I would add is um, the... Importance of elections is also on a local and statewide level, and I, and I do think that our ability to start kind of building uh, the types of infrastructures we need is, is, in some ways, easier on that level uh, because there's uh, a our organizations don't have to be quite as strong to win some of those races, so there's uh, we can win more, and uh, just the proximity of our elected representatives on a local and statewide level is a little bit closer. And I, I do think you're going to see a very uneven development of class organization in this country. It's always been that way. And so we should look towards places like New York, California, Nevada, places really where anywhere where Bernie did really well, I think is is an indicative of that there's something going on and that actually in some places we already have a pockets where we have a majority ready for, you know, social democratic, democratic socialist politics, and we can be really ambitious. And if we're able to show in a state like California or New York what types of material changes having a strong labor movement in conjunction with elected democratic socialists can do, that's going to be the type of inspiration that I think we're going to need to be able to win a presidential campaign, right? Because that goes back to what we were talking about before, where there's all these people who agree with Medicare for all, but to be honest, think that maybe it's pie in the sky, right? But if we're able to show that electing class struggle candidates with a movement to kind of put a bite behind that can make changes on a local and statewide level, then that's going to raise people's expectations and show that we mean in business. And I think ultimately that's how we're going to build a stronger socialist movement. It's, it can't just be on a national level. And so I don't think we should just retreat to local uh, politics. But I do think that um, one of the answers to people who are like, well, a little bit burnt out right now is not just the labor movement, but is from trying to win some of these local and statewide races.
0: So, we've been talking about the Bernie campaign. We've aired our grievances with uh, the end of the Bernie campaign. And it's understandable because a lot of people's feelings right now are are pretty raw. And, we haven't even uh, made fun of Mayor Pete yet, though.
2: That's the one thing. I, I mean, I feel like, oh, you, you, I just, I feel like you we get can't that blame in there? Mayor Pete. I was, I was saying that to somebody earlier today where I think everything bad in the universe uh, really dates back to the day when Mayor Pete endorsed Biden and it just set off this like avalanche of bad news wow. so this is my conspiracy theory
1: Mm-mm, too much credit no. It's
0: Domino theory Mayor Pete Domino theory about him. well who cares about it we're going to be dealing with this guy for literally decades for the rest of our lives he's like our age that's
1: extremely upsetting to me. As
0: long as we're alive, he's probably going to be alive. <laughs> oh, ding! Okay, uh, so all right, well, Mayor Pete, we got we got in the the dig on Mayor Pete. I mean, you know, I who who out there really believes that Mayor Pete is not going to run for president in twenty twenty four and twenty twenty eight and twenty thirty two, just on and on and on forever. So we we okay, we got the Mayor Pete ding in, uh, but. Uh, I wanted to say that I think that we, we've been talking about a lot of the sort of nitty gritty details here. But I think that when we look back on the Sanders campaign in the coming years, in the coming decades, uh, or you know, long after uh, the three of us are gone in American politics, I sincerely believe that we are going to look back on Bernie Sanders's two campaigns as really pivotal moments in American politics, I think that uh, whatever happens with Bernie from here on out, I mean, we are not going to see an American politics that sort of reverts to pre two thousand and sixteen. You know, socialism being laughed out of the room, uh, politics uh, policies like Medicare for all or free college for everyone not being taken seriously. Um, All of these things are. I think we're going to just hear more and more and more about, and we're going to see more and more and more growth of the socialist movement. We're going to see more socialist elected officials uh, taking office. I think that we will look back on these two campaigns as the start of a major shift leftward in american politics after the dominance of neoliberalism that started you know a little bit before Ronald reagan but then when Ronald reagan took office you know we had that kind of hard right neoliberal politics that that were still that are still dominant today in the united in u.s politics um I'm gonna here, hereby throw down a prediction that uh, Bernie Sanders is the pivot in American history uh, in a, in a different direction. And if that's true, I think that would put Bernie in the pantheon of great Americans. He would belong up there with you know Eugene Debs and Thaddeus Stevens and Martin Luther King and you know name name all the great American figures in political history you can think of. I think he'll he'll belong up there.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, I think he already does. I, I think the role that he has played is just, is historic. And especially when you, you sort of put it in the context of his whole trajectory, the fact that he, you know, got like, I think 1.2% in the first election that he ever ran in and he just kept running and kept losing and, and kept being really excited, you know, when he like, well, this next time he got like, I think two and a half percent. And so that had doubled uh, the previous results. And then that was a huge win for him. And I think, I think he's just a, frankly, a, a an example of a true, like you said earlier, right? He's one of us. And I think he's an example of a true a true fighter and the spirit that we should all embody when we're uh, embarking upon the this, which is the fight of our lives. I think we should remember the lessons, not just from, you know, 2020, 2016, but, uh, you know, learn from Bernie's entire trajectory.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, and I, I'm a little bit less certain, Micah, Um, but I'm optimistic, which is to say that I think it really depends on what people do, right? So I I was listening to Bernie's uh, speech today, and he said, you know, two million different people gave money to the campaign. So what those two million people right now, tonight, decide to do, one large part, I think, determine that trajectory. Because if those two million people keep on organizing and keep on fighting, and build off the momentum, then I think what you're saying will be right. But that's important because it's, it's also incumbent upon us as organizers to make sure those two million people don't just go home and get demoralized, but keep on fighting. And I think one of the reasons that uh, is a source of optimism is that the campaign was just like a really beautiful and powerful experience. I mean, I think that's one of the things that maybe gets lost a little bit in some of the articles and, and in like, the punditry. But for anybody who's involved in it, it was this very human moving thing where you just met so many lovely human beings who sacrificed for each other and got nothing you know, personal out of it other than kind of the joy of struggle and the joy of giving to other people. And it's that ethos, it kind of gives you a gleam of what a better world could be like. And I think that because that touched people, I think in a really kind of personal way, that is a hard thing to take away. So even though people are hurting right now, you kind of get a sense of how humanity could be different and how society could be different. And I think ultimately that's maybe just as important the impact of the Bernie campaign.
0: Well, onward then to that better society. Hopefully we can, hopefully this will be the start of something, uh, not the ending. I very sincerely believe that it is not just because I want to make myself feel better as i'm shedding tears for the end of uh, bernie's campaign i don't know if you guys were watching the live stream when he announced the end of his campaign today but i was whew, i was i was tearing up that was, I was good me and then, then i had to edit all of these uh reflections on his campaign today and i'm just like crying i'm reading eric's eric's is making me cry i'm moving on to megan days i'm crying it's just like they're all making me cry but it's all all the tears are going to be uh it's going to be going to be worth something we're able to build that bigger movement so thank you guys for being a part of that movement and thanks for coming on the podcast to talk about it
1: thanks for having me yeah
2: thanks smash capitalism
1: that's right onward no surrender
2: no regrets